Hello and welcome to Harold Hay. It's uh, Corey Vaughn with Adam Samaha. Uh, thank you for tuning in. We've got a great show for you today. Uh, we are going to be reviewing Save the Tree, which uh, was written by Joseph Purdy and directed by Dan Povenmeyer. Um, yeah, this is a good episode. Uh, we talk a lot about ecology, right? Yeah, like rad, I guess, radical ecological movements in the United States and Europe. Yeah, and uh, we talk about like Helga, Helga getting back into like you know a, uh, a pretty crazy dilemma between family and Arnold. Um, we talk about uh, the nature of language, uh, nature, so to speak, trees. Get it? Mm-hmm. Very good. Uh, yeah, and and we'll have you know our usual cry of the week, and we'll have uh, some nice scenes we're referencing, and um, maybe a little jazz at the end. Um, yeah, thanks for thanks for tuning in. We hope you hope you like the show. Yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Well, thank you, thank you so much for. Save the Tree opens up uh, in a vacant lot uh, with a giant tree called Mighty Pete. All the neighborhood kids are hanging out there uh, in this really uh, amazing, um, complex treehouse. It has plumbing and couches. And uh, these kids are uh, just kind of basking in its uh, perfection, saying, this is the best treehouse in town, the biggest tree in the neighborhood, and this tree will last forever. Uh, but that innocence is, is kind of cut down, uh, when big Bob shows up, Bob is Helga's dad. Uh, and he, uh, puts out a sign saying that he's going to tear down the tree at the end of the uh, end of the week, uh, to open up a big beeper emporium. Uh, all the kids give up right away. Arnold though is looking ahead saying, how can we, how can we stop this? Um, and that, uh, kind of ideal perspective on, uh, the future of this tree is shot down by Helga until she sees that it's that it's Bob, her dad, that's going to be tearing this down. So she actually goes home and confronts her dad um, and realizes that this uh, this issue of uh, father versus her true love is a, a bigger um, a bigger issue than just her telling her dad that she's annoyed. It, she actually calls it out as a problem between uh, her father's greed and Arnold's idealism. Uh, and so it cuts, it cuts over to, um, Arnold confronting his own grandparents saying, what are we going to do about this? And grandpa's kind of flipping about it, which is what he usually is. But grandma, um, goes into full protest mode, um, says, you know, we can stop this. Let's, let's check out, uh, our local government, uh, tomorrow. And so the two of them go and try to, you know, fill out forms, make complaints and, uh, they get shut down. And so they move to kind of the next step, which is protesting in front of the tree, carrying uh, carrying around posters and shouting shouting chants, and that that then moves them all the way to Bob's house, uh, to Bob's own home. Uh, and it, again, they get shut down. So they kind of go from point to point, trying to protest this situation, and they just keep getting shut down. Uh, Arnold and his grandma. Um, go back home. Arnold kind of is, is thinking about the ramifications of losing this, this amazing tree. And so he ends up middle of the night, uh, the night before the tree is getting torn down. Uh, he goes to spend one more night with this tree. Uh, and all the other kids do the same thing individually and they show up together, uh, only to find that Bob is back. Um, at it's like 1201, 12 in the morning. Uh, 
and he says it's officially officially Friday. Let's tear it down. So him and his partner are driving this bulldozer to knock down the tree, and um, the kids start throwing stuff at the at the bulldozer. Nothing's working, and at the last kind of the last possible moment, um, uh, Grandma shows up and pushes pushes it out of the way, uh, and so at that point the crisis is averted. But and 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 Bob sees that. Okay, Helga's there. Helga is supporting these kids. I'm going to back off. Um, but his response to the question, oh, so you're not tearing down the tree, is, oh, of course not. I'm just going to go to the other vacant lot, uh, which is where they play baseball. So the episode ends how it begins, which is um, Big Bob trying to open up a beeper emporium, you know, in a, in a, in a place, in a, com- a communal place for these kids. And that's and that's Save the Tree. Um, yeah, well, so Adam, what do you, are there any other like highlight moments that were kind of important for you or funny or, or touching? What are you thinking about? What are the, the kind of highlight moments you're thinking about? So I like at the beginning of the episode, there's a scene where they're all walking away, dejected, essentially saying, and Stinky, I think says, you can't fight the system, right? As the scene right, cuts. Right. And I think one of the next scenes is you, it goes to grandma and him talking to grandma about the situation and she finds everything that's problematic to be like a call to action, which I think is always enjoyable right. from her. Um, and her response is you can fight the system. Exactly. Yeah. yeah she yeah. has the complete opposite yeah. response to stinky. Yeah. Um, oh, well, I was, I was going to say that even with stinky saying that Sid says the like really basic, um, uh, like almost the same phrase, what can a bunch of kids do? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that's grandma never has that thought. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's awesome because when she goes to city hall to like fight the man, she gets stopped by a stack of paperwork that's going to take her at least a week to fill out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you run into the bureaucratic mess, which only fuels the fire for her even more. And she jumps on. I love how she jumps on the desk. She's like hooting and hollering and like galvanizing all the people in the uh, the, in city hall. And then she goes and does her whole protesting thing. Um, Yeah, that that, those probably are my favorite bits from the episode. I love these are just comedic, but I love uh, Big Bob watching the sitcom and and laughing about. Uh, you know these these crazy situations, and then Helga coming in about a completely different thing, saying, "Is it true?" And his response is, "Oh, it's not true. It's fiction. It's it's a yeah. sitcom. Like these situational comedies. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. But what uh, do you think? Like, I think I think all of Harold episodes kind of have major thesis moments, kind of main idea moments. Um, We've talked about it a little bit. Uh, where are you landing on 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 like a thesis moment in in the episode? I think like the main thesis is probably this sort of duality of the situation, and it's almost like what appears, especially in Arnold's mind, to be like a fight of good and evil. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Helga sees that, but doesn't see it as such a like plain duality of good and evil. She sees it as more nuanced. Mm. She sees it as like hyper-rationalism or some sort of intense greed, which is shown through her dad, Bob. Right. And then you have, like, uh, the starry-eyed idealist and Arnold. Right. Who wants to keep, basically, the tree intact at all costs. Yeah. And she thinks they're both absurd and is torn because the blood, which is her father, is, like, her main, you know, tie through family. Yeah. But then her true love, which lies with Arnold... So she's like, like this happens episode to episode. She's like stuck between both worlds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And she calls it out. There's a scene where she actually calls it out. And that starts with it, with a moment with Bob um, mentioning um, 
uh, kind of the nat oh the natural reason why I would open up a emporium here, and I I think that's a that whole scene. There's two major themes kind of combined into one. So I think I think that's a good scene. Yeah. So let's hear it from Helga's mouth. <laughs> oh, these crazy situation comedies. Dad, <laughs> is it true? No, it's just a made-up story, Helga. Those are all actors. No, Dad. I mean about the tree. Are you going to tear down the tree? Oh, absolutely. We're knocking <gasps> that hardwood down right at the knees. Sing. Uh, but, Dad, we all love Mighty Pete. Why can't you build your store somewhere else? Hey, hey, hey. Don't think I haven't put a lot of thought into that location. There's always people there hanging around under the tree. Why, it's a natural spot for a beeper emporium. It'll make me a ton of money. And what's good for me is good for all the Patakis, if you catch my drift, Helga. Alas, here I am again, torn between two forces. Arnold's foolish idealism and my father's unbridled greed. And this time, I fear blood is thicker than water. Oh, curse the day I was born a Pataki. Oh. So should we start with Helga's bit at the end of the sound clip there? Yeah, let's do that. Like, yeah, like what purpose does she serve? Yeah, like she, it reminds me of the Christmas episode, how she has these two problems and she, for the viewer, very physically says, in one hand I have this, in the other hand I have that. And so Mm -hmm. in a way she's kind of a stand-in for the audience in this situation. Yeah. um, Because she's presenting like the the ideas of kind of greed and uh, idealism, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think her role in this in my mind, or for our purposes, let's let's say, is that she plays the role of the public. Cool. So in this sort of situation where you have this sort of, I guess, landmark being just demolished, it's most people probably don't want it to happen, but aren't willing to climb into the tree and put their lives on the line to save it. Or they understand that sometimes good things have to go. Yeah, and, and neighborhoods change. Yeah. yeah, neighborhoods change. And like business always impedes on nature. And that's kind of, maybe they don't think about it like quite like that. Right. But they understand that like when you build something, something's got to go. Right. Like right. at a really basic level. So I think in that sense, her character in this is really interesting. And it, it's, sort of inter- it's sort of fascinating because it's like she has like a loyalty she sees to her father, which I think is not new for her, but it's like a, a nuanced dynamic mm. of her personality that I, I haven't really recognized much. But I don't know if it's necessarily like a loyalty, more of like a, you can't quite always escape your lineage no matter how far you right. try, right? So like she sees herself in her father, yeah. but she also is attracted to Har- Arnold's idealism. So she's like stuck between worlds. Yeah, I mean, Bob Bob calls that out too and that's what makes her really think about the situation because she comes in saying like why would you do this and his response after some other bits is also you're a pataki if you want to be a, if you want the patakis to succeed you'll want you'll be me on to our succeed. team yeah you'll be yeah. on our team and so that actually causes her to pause on her critique of her father and say oh he's right like am i with my father or with this guy i have this pining crush for yeah. So it makes sense that she would get that thrown to her. It's know? almost like a familial use of a rising tide lifts all boats is kind of what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Like if I do well with this sort of venture, we'll bring in more money. Right. I'll be rich. Therefore, you will have money. Right. You know, in the end as well, um, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, I think the thing which is a common trope in Hey Arnold and in life really is how when she's describing Arnold and her dad, she says his foolish idealism 
And when she talks about her father, she doesn't quite use a descriptive like that. Like she, she calls him greedy. She says, um, unbridled, unbridled greed. Yeah. Which is quite, not quite as big of a dig as like foolish. I think. Right, you know what I mean? right, right, right. Um, so, and maybe that's part of the, the, the intricacies of it being her family on the mm-hmm. one side and then her love on the other. She's a little bit harsher and more critical of her love because it's not where she comes from. Sure. Even though it's sure. Where, maybe where she wants to be hmm. at, at some point. Um, so yeah, I think, do you see anything else in sort of Helga's role in this episode or is that it? Well, it definitely is a, a, a piece of character development for her. It's continuing her quest to figure out uh, where she comes from, who she is, who she sides with, uh, which w- when the episode isn't about her love for Arnold, which a lot of times it is, it also, sometimes even when it's about her love for Arnold, the show is about her identity and, and her building that identity. So I think it, I think it just adds more, it adds more fodder for discussion about who Helga is. Totally. And I think from you saying that is like, Arnold in this episode is, it's just him, Arnold being Arnold in this episode is just her dad being her dad. Grandma but being grandma. grandma but it, yeah. it further shows that Helga's easily the most complex character. Totally. Because totally. she's not just through in an angsty fashion trying to say, you know, screw you, dad. I'm going with Arnold. Arnold's right. You know what I mean? It's not quite that blind, blind angst. It's like more yeah. nuanced. I keep using that word, but it's like she's more nuanced. Well, it's nuanced because she sees both sides. She doesn't like just jump to exactly. one side. She sees yeah. the the pros and cons of both, of both yeah. perspectives. In a very poetic fashion. As of course. per the usual. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, and, um, so if, or, or, should, shall I move on? Well, yeah. Like, I think we can, we can look, I, first we can look at the idealism, capital I idealism in general. And that's both like very obvious in grandma, but even in the kids where, where the episode starts out, like these kids, they're so blind to life. They're so <laughs> yeah, yeah. content in this, in this tree. Like I love Sheena just saying this tree will last forever. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's the thinking is like, this thing is good. Therefore it should always exist. Yeah. And it's such not how life works. And she's kind of right in that it's a 700 year old tree, but like <laughs> even 700 year old trees die. Yeah. Like even if Bob never tears it down, it will die. Yeah. Or, or become a lesser version of itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and even, so even just like, forget the conflict of the episode. Um, these kids are very ideal and it shows the limit of their intelligence. Right. Right. And I, I think I've brought it up here before, but, um, the, the time when my dad and I helped tear down, uh, like a children's clubhouse and how there was like a couch on the second floor and it was so dangerous. I think about this tree, like this, this tree house is so dangerous working plumbing that high up and oh, like yeah. a couch. Like it's so dangerous. Those kids should die. Like yeah. not, not should die. Like they're dumb. They should die. Like th- I'm surprised that like one still... burst pipe and the whole thing's just going it's down. down. Yeah, 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 for sure. But I think it's only a cartoon. Yeah. It's just a bit like, yeah, yeah. like Sid coming out at the very beginning saying, well, the sink's fixed. Like yeah. it was broken. Like, yeah. <laughs> That's a that's a scary moment. It is, and I think it, if Arnold's involved, it's going to be plush because his apartment is like this room is that's like that. That's true. Yeah, there's, that makes sense. And I think for the show, it shows like there's always in the show like a, a reality so separate from adults mm. that seems to be like slightly better than whatever the adults are engaging in, mm. which I think happens throughout the show. And there's like problems and you know issues, of course, but yeah, they they like have created this own world separate from adults. Well, I I've been thinking about this vacant lot with the giant tree and the vacant lot that they play baseball on and Arnold's perfect room. And 
I wonder how much of this episode is, or not this episode, this show is about these friends creating safe places for themselves in this kind totally. of not safe place. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like a sanctuary. Yeah, and 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 that that phrase is used a lot now. Like this is a safe place. This is a place of you know no no confrontation or whatever. And and there there are pros and cons to having that in our society. But I think the pro here is that these kids are creating a communal place for themselves, and that's that's a, a piece of like. Um, childhood development that that has been in literature for years and years. You think of like Tom Sawyer and and their clubhouse. You think of like Little Rascals. Like it's very normal for kids to create these pseudo adult worlds for themselves that also act as safe places of imagination and of safety and idealism. Um, and a lot of times in Hey Arnold, those safe places get disrupted. Yeah, um, when and, adults get involved. Yeah, and this is a perfect example. Um, and I think the more specific critique that's there are two specific critiques and one is kind of the conversation of capitalism and what that does. But the second thing and the second thing would be like nature and, and how important that is. But I think just from a capital I idealism or like um, uh, like the larger idea of safe places, it makes sense that there that the disruption causes not just like physical disruption, but like emotional disruption. Totally. Too. And it's and and also has a negative impact on the community potentially. So it's like the the actions of the adults are really really widespread, or the ramifications are way right widespread. Where the decisions the children make really only impacts their small little niche group. To- and, oh, totally, yeah. And the the thing about like creating a safe space is their safe spaces are always organically created. Yes, yes. And a common critique in this show, I think, is. Um, like the idea and problems of hierarchy. So, mm. and that's seen often in this episode and then the episode, the Christmas episode where whenever they run into bureaucracy, it's always problematic, right, which right. is like the epitome of hierarchy and problem with hierarchy. Um, and the kids kind of operate, even though they have their own sort of like group hierarchy, it's much more horizontally structured and yeah. operates with problems from time to time, but more fluidly and better. And like you said even if there are problems, it's only affecting them. It's not affecting the whole community. Yeah, and internally regulates. Right. Yeah. Right. Where, yeah, and it only affects a small group. They're yeah. like localized area. There And there are a lot of good, you know, there are a lot of good shows that show that, that hierarchy. I think another example, Recess, is a really good example of like children's hierarchy kind of self-containing itself. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense? Totally. Um, and I think there are probably other shows that do that too. So I, I think at its best, like, animated shows about children in natural like realistic environments are going to show these um these hierarchies self-regulating instead of affecting like the adults i guess well it's almost like the creators of this are creating this their own sort of horizontal utopia which is like a, a thing maybe like an anthropologist will go to like some you know hmm. off the beaten path part of africa like look at a tribe and go look what you know they don't have the structures that we have and they like regulate themselves right. and, all that, and they have this like really romanticized hmm. sort of hmm. like um idealistic view of like alternative forms of power right, structure right. and stuff like that and it's almost like in those shows the writer's creating that too and yeah. in their own way like this like weird pseudo anthropological way where right. you're kind of viewing these kids like run wild almost well yeah and and there are, I, I, and I wish I could remember the study. There was a study recently just about ch- uh, childhood um, forts, shanties, oh, that's cool. uh, like camping, and what, like, what happens when kids are in charge of that? That, that, that it, like I said, it's a rite of passage. It's, it's common whether you're in Beverly Hills all the way down to like impoverished, you know, oh, totally. like Middle America areas. Like yeah. all those things are 
like are part of it. It's universal. It's a universal, it's, it's, it's a universal thing. And so it makes sense that it feels anthropological because it's a, it's a natural part of childhood development. When it's someone viewing the other, which is what all of those things are. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there was, an, it, it, there was another part of this uh, dynamic that I think we should dive into. Of like idealism. I, well, like idealism yeah. leading into... Definitely. Yeah. Into and response. I, yeah. And I think a good place to start with this next little bit is... Uh, when grandma is confronted with the sort of slowness and drudgery right. of the bureaucratic system. No one's knocking down that tree without a fight from us. We'll fight them in the streets. We'll fight them on the rooftops. We're not talking about anything. We're talking about Mighty Pete, the last living example of Cedrus and Tillicus in our neighborhood. It's 700 years old. Mm. So are you, but who's counting? First thing tomorrow morning, Arnold, you and me, the Department of Trees and Shrubbery, City Hall. City Hall? Do you think they'll help? Well, of course they will. Plus, you're a kid, and the government loves kids. First of all, I, I don't like kids. Uh, second of all, to lodge a formal complaint, you need to fill out these forms, and then, if you're lucky, you can present your case in front of the City Council some months after that. Months? But we only have a week. <laughs> <laughs> That's not even enough time to fill out the forms. Young man, this young boy is on a mission to save an old tree from the bulldozer, and you just sit there and hand us some forms. Well, we won't take this line down. We'll take our fight to the streets, to the heart and soul of this land. People of Earth! So in that scene with Grandma, Grandma and Arnold at uh, City Hall, you can see sort of like the frustration that's born out of... Uh, like the inaction of the government and inaction right. of the city. And because of that, her next thought is like the only way to solve this problem in a timely fashion, not in a week or a month, is through direct action. And that is like a thing that, like I said before, that we is a consistent theme, like a reoccurring thing with, with grandmother, is she loves to fight for something that is noble just because the action of fighting for greater good in mm, itself, mm-hmm. the process is a good process. Yeah, yeah. And she promotes that in Arnold, which maybe is why he's always trying to right every wrong. Yeah. Um, and so season two, which is what we're going over right now, the first episode of season two, was released um, around like 1998, like probably started right in 97, 98. Yeah, like 95 to, yeah, to like 98, 99. So during that same time, uh, like this far, this uh, cartoon doesn't like, is it doesn't come from a vacuum like there's like real historical things that are occurring at the time and there was a lot of like what we call now uh like post 2001 uh like bush era stuff uh like eco-terrorism which is basically uh animal rights organizations or like naturalist or militant naturalist organizations that do things like tie themselves to trees like we've all seen on the news and cartoons and you know various mocking forms like that Um, but they also did a lot more extreme things like uh, blow up buildings of universities of like logging companies uh in 1998 actually they did a pretty incredible one where they blew up a building of a a ski resort in vale colorado oh my gosh (laughs) and this is the quote Vale Inc. is already the largest ski operation in North America and now wants to expand even further. The 12 miles of roads and 885 acres of clear cuts will ruin the last best lynx habitat in the state. 
putting profits ahead of Colorado's wildlife will not be tolerated. So that was their response to their action uh, of blowing up this uh, this building, which nobody was harmed in. It was uh, you know, destruction of yeah, it was destruction of property. Um, and so, and they, if you look through the history from when it was founded, which was a different organization uh, called Am- Am- uh, Animal Liberation Front, which was started in the UK in 1976. And then had its like American counterpart, um, which was called Earth First, which was started in 1980. Those organizations together kind of formed uh, later on a group called Earth Liberation Front, which was formed in about 1992. And most of its actions took place in the Pacific Northwest, primarily the Oregon and Washington. Right. Um, so they would do things like sabotage, logging, um, cars and trailers and stuff like that and block the ways for loggers to get through and stuff like that. Um, so what I think is interesting about this is th- you see that sort of militant per- like um, mentality in the way that grandma sees the world. Um, and she never quite gets to the point of like, you know, detonating a bomb. Um, and the reason that these people that uh, participate in this sort of militant radical behavior is they sort of espouse this belief of deep ecology. And the idea of deep ecology is that no uh, living organism is greater than any other. So therefore, um, if they feel like they need to blow up a building to send a signal or to halt production of something that is going to harm another living creature then that is fine. They never, ever, ever want to harm human life. And there was one occurrence that happened where they blew up um, a uh, agricultural research center in a university that they thought was helping to promote and fund and lobby for the use of uh, G- uh, um, modified... Oh, I'm blanking. Like hormone, like... NG, not, NG, yeah. uh, not NGOs. Uh, like, oh, in, like, like in plants? Like in... Yeah, uh, like uh, genetically modified organisms. Right, right. Uh, GMOs. GMOs. There we go. That's that freaking word. Um, that was promoting the use of uh, GMOs. Um, and it turned out that they were wrong. And the guy was arrested. And while he was in jail and going through the process, process of getting punished, um, said over and over again that he regretted his, his decision. And he is so thankful that nobody was harmed in his stupid mm-hmm. action, which he came to, to realize was a stupid action. So you see that although... They're committing what we would consider heinous acts. There is some sort of moral, ethical guideline that even framework that even they're operating within. Right. Um, and I think that's sort of important to understand um, because if you view uh, the world from, which is there's like a sort of like an anarchist Marxist lens, which is they're basically going to do anything to stop like um, the mistreatment or harm of uh, human life. Uh, and natural life as well. And I think when, when that is your sort of call to arms, then a- anything goes, you know what I mean? Mm. In terms of um, private property and such. Do you, does, do you think this episode was inspired like specifically by that generally, like the event of like a group of neighborhood people saying like saying this tree is important. Um, please don't touch it. Uh, is that a thing that was happening then? Um, were trees getting torn yeah. down? Yeah, so although they did things like um, blow up um, like SUV uh, car lots and stuff like that, like right. car dealerships and set, not blow up, set fire to cars and stuff. Sure. They also really, especially in, in the Pacific Northwest where this is like a big deal, like we're really involved in logging 
and uh, taking care of like um, trees and stuff like that. Um, so there's like a direct correlation. And I know at the time it was like a huge deal mm. because think about it now, if you had like a group of people that like blew up a building and were claiming some sort of like moral high ground and like moral justification or ethical justification, it would be all over the news. Right. Like when we had the guy in Oregon who took over the wildlife preserve. Right, right, right. And that was like all over the news. Yeah. So th- And that was even lesser than this, than what, what I'm talking about here. Yeah. And that was different though because that was about – that was about property and and rights. It wasn't really about. It was like a libertarian nature. turn of yeah. this. It wasn't. Yeah, it was more. It was actually about property rights. Yeah, it wasn't really about <laughs> it wasn't blowing nature. up property. Yeah, yeah, and it wasn't. It wasn't like a pro, a pro or like a negative or positive view of nature. It no, was simply no, it was we neutral. want to use this nature. Yeah, f- for this purpose, not for that purpose. It was actually use this nature for their own ends. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, similar. It's similar um, f- structure. Of, of, yeah. of protest, I guess. Well, yeah, in the sense you're commandeering something that isn't yours right. and thinking that your rationale allows you to do that. Yeah, yeah. It it feels congruent, if not specific. It does feel... It feels like it... Um, it it's in the same family, having... having the larger the larger idea of you know blowing up buildings and that kind of thing that's like the extreme version and the more the more microcosm maybe maybe rational version is we can we can't control much but we can at least say uh we don't like what's happening here to this tree um it's it's still making a statement about the life of that tree yeah and there was a quote i don't remember quite exactly what it word for word what it says but it was a person that was part of elf which is uh, earth liberation front um was basically that although their actions had not have not changed the course of history and haven't stopped these sort Mm -hmm. of manipulations of mother earth by corporations as a whole that just the act of trying to get in the way um is in itself a good act and that you never know what's going to happen and what it will you know, will spring from that. And that's exactly how grandma feels. Oh, totally. She doesn't, she doesn't say, um, we'll make it happen. She says yeah. tomorrow is a new day and we're going to go out and fight the fight. Yeah. Totally. And that statement isn't about the outcome. It's about process. It's about the process. Yeah. yeah. And I, I appreciate that. It makes her a little less crazy and, and a different kind of idealism. It's an idealism that I can sink my teeth into the blind, like, this tree will never die. That's yeah, that's yeah. that makes you roll your eyes and go, this thing's gonna die eventually. Well, it's and, like armchair idealism and like childish idealism versus like willing to put yourself on the line. There's something even if you don't believe in what they're doing, it's like sort of admirable. Yeah, yeah. And even if you even if you know they're not gonna succeed, you know that just by trying, that's a success in itself. Yeah, totally. That, which is which is nice. Um, and the I think okay. So the other thing I was thinking about uh, is. Um, sorry. Is that semantic? The- yeah, the, like that, it comes into that. Oh, oh, I remember now. Um, so it's kind of the overall way that this episode reflects even um, civil rights, any any kind of protest history. Um, yeah. There are some kind of uh, tentpole moments in real history of civil rights that you see in this, and that's the the idea of all these people showing up to the this bureaucratic government, like, that government scene is filled with people just mm-hmm. in the line, drudging along, trying to talk to somebody and her jumping on the papers and throwing them in the air mm-hmm. and saying like, we won't stand for this. That's a, a big kind of tentpole trope that you see in the okay. history yeah, of, of civil rights. And then the other one is um, when they go to Bob's house 
and uh, he he opens up the uh, fire hydrant on them and, and sprays water on them. That's a, a huge trope, especially for um, civil rights of like the 50s and 60s and 70s. That's a, yeah. a big uh, image that you can't help but go, whoa, this is referencing some kind of civil rights movement. Yeah, like the use of fire hoses against, yeah, black people minorities hippies right like right. whatever communists whatever your group is that they were trying to yeah so i think down. i think those visual cues help the viewer go okay this is um this is talking not just about this tree but uh uh civil rights in general yeah and, it's like giving protest a, in general a historical weight kind of totally, through totally. like a really prominent visual I, I i think to jump back to the the property and ownership though um and there's both a pro and con here uh Arnold's saying, this is our tree. Demolition on Friday the 16th? They're knocking down the tree? They can't do that. We gotta do something. Forget it, Arnold. What could a bunch of kids do? Yeah, yeah forget it, Arnold. Uh, come on, you guys. There's gotta be something we can do. Mighty Pete is our tree. Can't fight the seas, though. From an idealist standpoint, uh, that's, a, that's a beautiful statement of uh community memory history uh the story of of the neighborhood um it's less about property and more about um i guess capital o our tree uh it's not a possessive thing it's saying this is not just bob's it's not just mine it's everyone's together we need to um support it love it and it, fe- it feels like a ecology kind of statement um and also a uh statement of things do have meaning, especially communal, like communal items, neighborhood items have a larger meaning than what they just are. So it's just a tree, but it also has weight to it. Right. And that goes back to the the old building. There there's a big meaning to that old building. So I, I like that. I like that statement. This is our tree, but the critique is who owns anything, who, mm-hmm. <laughs> who owns that tree. That tree is, is technically on public property. Bob bought the vacant lot, um, from, from, you know, the, the, the neighborhood or the government. Uh, and now it's his choice to do with it what he pleases. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I think both those sides are strong just in that one statement. And I, I don't know, it, it's, uh, just another, another layer of, um, complexity to whether it's okay or not what Bob's doing. Right. Yeah. The interesting thing that, yeah, is like you're saying, it's like the community or collective ownership. Right. Right. And, and it's like, it's not a thing you pay for with, money like you would like Mm. bob would but it's like a thing that transcends that in the sense that it transcends the value of money but it also transcends like um like uh history and like like lineage like it's a thing that has impacted his uh, arnold's grandmother grandfather and now the kids so it's like gone through all of these generations Mm -hmm. um so it's like a thing where you it's like you want it to have that same impact on the next generation as well right um so in like a corny way it's like can you put a price on that really Apparently right, you right. can because Big Bob was clearly, it. clearly, yeah, yeah. and so uh, in 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 just a bit ba- in a in a basic way of looking at um kind of nuanced reality, both Bob and Arnold are right. Yeah. Um. So so in some ways you can't fault Bob for wanting to open up a beep emporium there. Yeah, and like a bit of a more critical turn is at the very beginning the kids are all hanging out in the treehouse and they're saying like, oh, it's the best tree, and then Arnold I believe says it's the only tree left in the city. Whoa. So it shows that like that expansion of business and and yeah. and commerce and and housing development and all that stuff like this is the the last sort of frontier you know this is it like if they get yes. rid of this the thing the the whole city will be have been consumed mm-hmm. by 
commerce and right, housing right. developments and stuff like that. Yeah, but I and I I just think the term hour is a both a beautiful collective term and also a, a selfish specific ownership yeah. term. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So the other thing I've been thinking about is the semantics of. Um, so go, going back to the to kind of the thesis scene we brought up between Bob and Harold or Bob and Helga, um, I think looking at the line that Bob says, which is this is a natural place for a beeper emporium that stuck out to me. Um, and you could think of it maybe in a, in a post-structuralist uh, within a post-structuralist lens where you're looking for words that conflict with each other. Um, in a, in statements, so he made a pretty strong statement there. This is obviously a natural place for a beeper emporium. Natural has two meanings, um, and he's really only leaning into one. One is natural as uh, uh, as in nature, ecology, um, uh, trees, for example. So this episode is about a tree, and so when he brings up a term like natural, uh, I'm going to think of it in in the context of that tree. Uh, if the tree is looming over this episode, when when he says natural, I go, oh, okay, so he's referencing he's nature. referencing nature. Yeah. But then instantly he says this is a natural place for a beeper emporium, and that is not natural. It's man made. <laughs> it's it's commerce. It's capitalism. It's uh, no, not and not. This isn't even about a positive negative standpoint. This is just. I heard about, you, you little Marxist. Yeah, it was yeah, coming yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw you. Uh, uh, Indeed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing is just thrown. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, but it, it's more about the meaning of those words coming into conflict with each other. Um, and, and in one regard, it's, it's Bob not knowing what he's saying. It, it, and yeah, that's, the weight of it. That's the, that there's a ton of just blank, uh, bl- blanket linguistic irony. That's really funny. And um, a really nice turn of phrase that uh, uh, kind of, brings to brings to light the underlying um irony of i guess what bob is trying to do um he's he's seeing the benefit of this lot where people are hanging out under a natural tree and they're they're there because it's the only tree left in the city and so his thought is this is a natural place for a beeper emporium so i think just from a linguistic standpoint from a post-structural standpoint it's a very interesting phrase but you can even take that a step further um and say that 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 line of dialogue is also a critique on the weight of linguistic manipulation. So Bob is is pushing his his financial um, hierarch, hi- hierarchy weight around um, in saying, I decide that this is a natural place for a beeper emporium. And he does that by manipulating the term natural and making you assume that he's talking about the tree and then he flips it on you. And so I think of like the way that the term natural, for example, just, let's just use that word, the, how the word natural is used to talk about things that are definitely not natural. So if you look at the back of a Coke bottle, it's going to say filled with natural and artificial flavors. Are the natural flavors not artificial though? It's it's fl- the flavor of something natural, but it's not natural. That's a, that's a manipulation, a, a, a term of a term of nature referencing something that is definitely not natural. And yeah, that comes in an aluminum tin can. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I think it, when you think of um, uh, like ad campaigns, marketing, uh, the power of marketing, words are always manipulated. Um, people in power manipulate certain types of words to make you uh, open up in a new way. 
Um, so if I see, you know, a bag of potato chips that say natural ridge cut potato chips, I go, whoa, natural ridge cuts. Nice. When we all know that ridge, anything cut in ridges is not natural. Yeah, where do potato chips grow out of the ground? Yeah, potato chips cut in ridges naturally. (laughs) Um, So it's a, it's a common trope to, especially when you think about the the organic, all natural kind of um, uh, uh, food and healthcare uh, um, phase that we're in, which is a, is a good thing. it's good to seek out healthy, healthier things and eat better and look for things that aren't pumped with GMOs and all that. Um, But even, even, mega companies, McDonald's, Coke, whatever, they're still, they're going to use those terms just like your local health store. They're both are, both are going to use those terms, some to truly help you seek out health and some just to make a buck. And maybe, maybe, um, I don't think Bob knew what he was doing, but I think it's an interesting, interesting pairing when you think about the power of, of people in power within high, within, um, uh, marketing within big business, et cetera. Yeah. I think the that's yeah, a wonderful observation. Thank you. And the, I think he's just speaking in normal everyday marketing commercial terms, yeah. which is that world, like you were saying, like promotes consciously, consciously or unconsciously the manipulation of language and the bastardization of language, the destruction of language, more or less, mm. um, as a way, as just like a normal way of operating. And mm. so he's just operating within that framework. And I think that's a fascinating thing because I think you have to look at these things sort of like in the order that they occur. So things, actions always start off as ideas. Mm. And if you have, say, the ubiquitous nature of corporations mm. who has the sort of authority that they've granted themselves and we've allowed to occur uh, to manipulate language, then the actions that we take after that are informed by those thoughts, which they have manipulated through marketing. So you have Bob's beepers on one hand or corporations on one hand, destroying, manipulating language. And then on the, like say on the right side of the spectrum, on the left side of the spectrum, you have people like the elves, the Earth Liberation Front literally destroying uh, buildings no, and no, private no. property. The elves from Lord of the Rings. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They would love you to say that. Yeah. No, uh, but they do. They are. They are called the elves, which is funny. Uh, Crazy. And so you have on on one side of the spectrum people destroying buildings, physical things. Yeah, like yeah, bourgeois structures is how they would see them. And then you have on the right you have people manipulating language in a coercive, manipulative fashion in order to uh, get whatever financial ends. Um, are available to them. So it's like in our in our society, we deem the people on the left, the people blowing up these buildings as terrorists, eco-terrorists. We view the people on the right, let's say, as just like normal, smart businessmen. Mm. And I think you see this sort of in the election right now, like you have uh, the terrible uh, fascist Donald Trump saying <laughs> things like, um, I don't pay any taxes because I'm smart. And making mm. a claim like that, it's like, yeah, He's smart in the sense that he's manipulating the rules to reach his financial end, which is to not pay taxes. Mm. So he is, in a, in a sense, which I don't agree with, being smart by not paying taxes, right? So it makes you, as the 
person paying taxes feels stupid. That's the only other way you can like dissect that that mm-hmm. sentence and that that meaning. And that's sort of what's at play here. You have the terrorists who blow up the buildings because they see humanity and and the natural world being destroyed. And the people on the right who are destroying language and thought processes, essentially. Right. Right. Um, in a sort of more subliminal fashion. And both, yeah, both are manipulation. One yeah. is uh, tangible, and the other is so under the radar. You, it, it can you can only really look at it if you have it, like spelled out in front of you. You know. Yeah, um, which is hard. It's hard to do because you have one thing that's literally in your face on fire, and then you have the other thing that's which is so subtle, subconscious yeah. and subtle and manipulative in that way. Mm. And it shows you, I think, how entrenched our society is with the idea of capitalism and consumerism, which is we don't even call the manipulation right. of language and thought as problematic. We don't right, see it right. as a problem. And we think the other people are the worst things on earth, which are terrorists. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't think Bob's supposed to know what he's doing. I think he, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> he, I think he's an idiot. Like yeah. he, a, a, a lovable, also not lovable idiot. He, he, he at moments, you just think this guy is so dumb. He's I love him, but when he when he when he goes out to you have more grace than I do. Well, sure, <laughs> the sure. Love, he's, the a, he's a father. I mean, yeah. he's, oh, a, he's yeah. a father. <laughs> so is Donald Trump. Ooh, <laughs> he's still a fascist. I did say before this we before we record this episode that uh, Big Bob is Donald Trump. Yeah, uh, which is he probably yeah. In 2016, Craig, he might be. Yeah, Craig. Yeah, think about it, man. Um, but it's it's a great phrase that just falls apart when you the, yeah a natural place for a beeper emporium is a wonderful phrase that falls apart when you think about it yeah um, and i love yeah. that i think it's a great moment of conflict in language um and it's an it's an and if nothing else it's a wonderful irony um yeah. that it, that comes out of his mouth and it and what that starts is a, a, another step of character development for helga yeah definitely yeah uh, what else are we thinking about this episode? I mean, we got to get to the cry of the week, but is there any other bits that we're thinking about? No, I don't know. I liked this episode a lot. Mm. I thought it was interesting. And I think, um, there's so, I think this is an episode that's good for us, for our purposes, because yeah. like we like to dive in, you know, and right. really go into the weeds of like the critical analysis of it. But I think there's a lot of this stuff that on this episode is like pretty out in the forefront. Mm. And if like you have the fucked up knowledge base that Corey and I have, then you have the ability to notice it right away. Sure. Um, and if not, it's like kind of just like a fun episode. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And, and uh, it's a, because you see Helga putting herself out there to, to yeah. care for Arnold. And even though she doesn't really say it, once yeah. again, she hides it. Uh, you, you see more of her relationship with her dad and, and, and just some funny moments with her dad. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a good episode. Yeah. Good job, Craig. Good job. And also, yeah, the, all the all the producers behind this episode. Um, so, cry of the week. Where are you thinking? Um, the cry of the week. I think. Uh, so I think. Ah, uh, this is hard. I think the cry of the week for me was, at the end, like how quickly their victory was stripped for them when they realized they have to fight another battle, which is to get Bob to not build on their vacant lot, their baseball yeah, diamond. Yeah, yeah, this story. It ends where it began. Yeah, and and that's li- like that. The, I think the reason I give this a full cry is because that's how life really is. Like you think you've reached something, just to like look and go, no, there's a higher peak over there. Yeah, and that one, there's like a gargoyle at the top. That you know, it's just worse and worse and worse. Yeah, yeah, and I like that it connects back to the vacant lot episode because it really does. Um, 
Yeah, calling back. I like it. Yeah, it's it, the, the 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 episodes are different. They're talking about slightly different things, but they connect, and they both are about um, adults coming into these safe places or these communal places, and and shifting them in ways that are beneficial for themselves, but not for anybody else. Yeah. Um. So I I I think that's a good moment. My my cry of the week moment is um when Arnold is in his bedroom thinking about mighty Pete and he's, he just is so sad that he puts on his shoes, climbs out his window and looks over the city and you see the tree peeking out through the roofs and the, the rooftops and the, the music um, plays in such a way that for me, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful moment of contemplation about what the tree means to him. Um, and then that's, that's solidified when he actually goes to the tree and all of his friends have done the same thing. And so it's a, it's a very meaningful moment for, for these kids to go first contemplate on their own about the importance of this tree and then meet together uh, to share in that as a community. Um, it's, it's maybe not realistic that that would, that would happen, but it, 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 it's highlighting how important it is for this small community of kids. Um, so yeah, pretty close to full cry. It definitely gave me the shivers. It, it maybe, maybe, shivers is good. maybe three tears and a, and, and a, a shiver and a ooh, shiver. <laughs> and if you all are interested in seeing a film, which was actually a, an Academy award nominated documentary film, it's called if a tree falls, a story of the earth liberation front. So you can sort of learn about that and sort of draw your own conclusions. Sure. Yeah. Look it up. Where, do you know where you can find it? Like um, the internet, Netflix, mm-hmm. Blockbuster. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, your local video store, I think, is the best place to find this Blockbuster, film. yeah. Blockbusters, there are a lot of those around still. Yeah, they are. Yeah. They're like Starbucks. They're just everywhere. Every, every corner. Yeah. So um, we'll wrap up today with uh, smooth, some smooth jazz in, in, a, in true Arnold fashion. Um, all of this season, we're uh, finishing up every episode with... Um, uh, some some jazz we find that we think you might like. Um, who 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 did this one uh, today? This is uh, Freddie Joachim. Uh, the song is "Shoulder Kiss" from the album "Study Guide." So uh, thanks for thanks for joining us today on Hey Arnold Hey, uh, and enjoy enjoy this music as we we lead you out. And we're happy to be back. Thank you so much. Thank you.